to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Today on Maritime AgCast, we will be talking about vaccinations for feeder cattle and more specifically a feeder cattle vaccination screening project conducted by the Nova Scotia cattle producers through the winter and spring of 2019-2020. Today my guests are Dr. Sean McKenna, a dairy veterinarian and associate professor in ruminant health management at the Atlantic Veterinary College, UPEI. He has research interests in food animal production, medicine, infectious disease, epidemiology, Yoni's disease, lameness in cattle, and diagnostic test evaluation. Uh, also, we'll be joined by Jonathan Wirt, uh, who's a, a multiple-time guest here on Maritime AgCast, who, again, is the manager of livestock and field crops at Perennia. He has extensive knowledge in ruminant production and management. In addition, he has experience in policy and regulation related to livestock in both provincially uh, and national organizations. Uh, and he was also a sheep producer for more than 25 years. We'll once again have Ellen Crane with us, who works with the Beef Cattle Research Council based out of Calgary, who coordinates the development and maintenance and utilization of various extension resources that are available through BCRC's website, blog articles, and other content. So welcome and thanks everybody for joining me this morning. It's a pleasure, Brad. Good morning. In a lot of the workshops that we host for cattle uh, over the last number of years, one of the main topics that we always end up talking about is, is vaccination protocols and, and vaccinating cattle, um, particularly feeder, feeder cattle going to market. Let's start with Jonathan. Why is it important uh, to have a herd vaccination program and to vaccinate our cattle? Well, this is an interesting uh, discussion. And I mean, I think that uh, we've become more sensitized to the whole idea of vaccinations with with COVID-19 and and you know kind of the government's perspective on things is that we're not going to be out of COVID-19 and until we uh, we have a vaccine. So in the livestock world, we've got vaccines for a lot of the the, the disease issues that we have. And uh, we have the opportunity to provide uh, a level of immunity to our feeder cattle that uh, wouldn't be available to them if we didn't vaccinate them. So I mean, if we look at what's happening to these these cattle, um, you know, we're weaning them, and then we're uh, we're basically sending them off to a totally new world uh, where there's uh, you know a bunch of new uh, opportunities for them to be exposed to diseases that they haven't been they haven't seen on on their their home farm, and probably more significantly than that, they're being uh, stressed very significantly. Uh, by the new, you know, adjusting to the new environment, adjusting to being moved, uh, adjusting to being transported, uh, and all of those things put a significant uh, stress on the animals, which makes them more prone to uh, to potentially uh, picking up a disease and and having it uh, take hold of them. So, if we can vaccinate these animals uh, against some potential diseases that we know are out there then we're giving them a much better chance to uh, perform well in their new environment and 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 move into the, uh, the various agricultural operations that uh, the people that purchase them are going to do are going to uh, you know manage them in so it's a really important management tool and it's a relatively cheap and inexpensive things to do if you have a reasonably good handling system it's not a big deal to vaccinate these animals 
Um, you need to figure out what your protocol and your process is going to be, and the best way to do that is to consult with your veterinarian. Dr. McKenna, can you discuss a little bit the idea behind whole herd vaccination versus vaccinating animals specifically that are going to market and uh, maybe the benefits or drawbacks to both of those strategies? Sure. I guess if you let me back up a little bit, I guess it's important for, I don't want to make this a very detailed lecture or anything, so I have to be careful how far I go into the details, but what we're trying to basically do is increase immunity for diseases of concern, right? And so when we talk about immunity, there's really kind of two different ways to get an immunity. We call it, there's a passive immunity versus active immunity. So in passive immunity, some of our mama cows in the beef world, right, they've been exposed, they've been living, they've been exposed to different uh, potential pathogens for years, and so they're going to pass off antibodies for protection through the colostrum to the calf. And so that's what we call passive immunity. When you make sure the calf gets a good dose of colostrum right off the bat, they're absorbing those antibodies right away, and those antibodies are now active to be the defense of this calf for any kind of disease. Because it's going to take weeks for the calf's immune system to kick in and start being able to, to fight anything on its own. Then we need to worry about getting active immunity, which is why it's important to start vaccinating so we can make the calf's system start making the, its own antibodies. The antibodies it gets through passive immunity from the mom's colostrum, it's only going to last for, depending on the disease, maybe weeks to months. Those antibodies then, what we, they call, we call that antibody decay, they disappear. So now the calf's immune system needs to kick in and start making its own antibodies. So... That's the reason why we kind of do herd vaccination. So it's good to boost the immunity of the mothers. So it's quite often the mother cattle, they're going to get vaccinated every year or two to boost their immunity so that they can pass off passive immunity in the colostrum. And that's going to cover those calves for the first two months to four months of life. But then after that, those passive antibodies disappear. That's why we need to come in and vaccinate them uh, sometime in the early part of their life to start stimulating their own immune system to make specific antibodies for these pathogens of concern. So that's kind of why it's got to be a two-step process, right? You do the mama cows first to make sure they can pass it off in the colostrum. And then you got to do the youngins before they, you know, hopefully right around the same time as the antibodies decay from the colostrum, we can get a vaccine into them to make their own antibodies. So that's why it's got to be kind of a two-pronged approach. So you mentioned that um, the passive immunity can last for somewhere between two to four months. What sort of time frame can we expect though that active immunity or those vaccinations uh, that are administered to uh, protect our feeder cattle from? So whenever you give a vaccine to a feeder animal, you have to keep in mind it's probably going to take, you know, at least two to three, sometimes up to four weeks before antibodies are actually going to be produced to a point where they're going to offer any or confer any kind of protection. So that's one thing you have to keep in mind is you need to have at least enough time for that antibody to production to happen. That's an important thing that people need to keep in mind. And so for the second part of your question is how long can we expect a vaccination to actually protect the animal? That's kind of a complicated one too, because it, it really kind of depends on what we're vaccinating for. Typically speaking, in general terms, when you're vaccinating, let's say with something like for Clostridium disease, whether it's Tazvax or another vaccine that you're using, when we're vaccinating against bacterial diseases, the immunity from a vaccine is relatively short-lived sometimes only as much as two to four months before you'd have to revaccinate again. And then other pathogens that we vaccinate for, we have some fairly, you know, longer duration of protection. So when I go vaccinate an animal for BVD, if I'm using a modified live vaccine, I can sometimes expect almost 13 to 14 months of protection from that, from that modified live vaccine. So that's kind of the range and the variability you're going to get in this. Anywhere from two months protection from a vaccine to potentially up to 13 months protection. You mentioned a modified live vaccine. 
Uh, for those folks who aren't as familiar, can can we talk a little bit about the difference and the strategy in using either a modified live or a killed vaccine in our overall vaccination program? Sure. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm worried I'll get into too much detail, so I'll try to keep it kind of brief. But in a traditional sense, the first vaccines that were ever developed were always killed vaccines. So basically, a researcher... A developer would would come up with a way of basically taking the organism of concern, basically rendering it inactive so it was safe to administer in a, in a syringe somehow to an animal and hope that it would still create an immune response, even though it was no longer an active pathogen. Versus a modified live, where we actually still have live organism that's in the bottle, it's just been chemically changed so that it's no longer going to be able to cause disease. Originally, since everything was killed, there was a lot of concern when modified live vaccines came into practice in the cattle world that, you know, potentially if we use modified live in or around a pregnant animal, it could cause disease enough to cause a strong enough response that the pregnant mother cow would abort. What we do realize now is that that's not necessarily true at all. So if you could, you can easily have a pregnant cow with calf at foot still nursing. The calf can get modified live vaccine and it's not going to exude enough vaccine-related pathogen to actually expose the mother to anything. So it, it is pretty safe, although it still seems to be, in some times, in some places, a, a concern that modified live is dangerous to use around pregnant cows. The reason why we'd want to promote the use of modified live vaccine versus killed vaccine is we do get better duration of immunity and potentially even a stronger immunity when we use modified live vaccine. Um, and that could be measured in two ways. It could be this, that the actual, the amount of antibodies or tighter response that we get is going to be stronger. So we'll get more antibodies from modified live versus killed. And at the same time, we're probably going to get a different variety of antibodies produced by the modified live vaccine. So it should potentially give you better protection than a killed vaccine. Killed vaccines are still used in the market, though, because if you do have a pregnant animal, you're typically going to want to use a killed vaccine on that pregnant animal. You can't really expose them to a modified live, at least for the first time in their life, or you will abort that cow potentially. So there's still a place for the use of killed vaccine, but strategies can be in place in a herd program to actually try to wean away from killed vaccines and use more modified lives. One of the strategies would be if you're in a beef herd situation when all the cows have calved, before you get them all rebred, vaccinate them with a modified live vaccine, and therefore you can kind of switch away from killed vaccines and move to modified live. However, I do recognize there's some strategies that that's not viable. So killed vaccine is still a pretty good idea. It's better than no vaccine for certain in a, in a pregnant cow. So we still we still use killed vaccines, but we aren't going to get the duration and potentially the widest breadth of protection as we do from modified live. So Jonathan, you work with a lot of producers uh, across the province and and region and. You know, what do you see out on farm as far as producers that have vaccination programs uh, or do you get a lot of questions about setting up programs? Um, you know, you mentioned that having a good vet client patient relationship is really what we need uh, on farm to, to develop and, and implement a vaccine uh, program. Any comments on that? Certainly. I mean, we, we, we see the full, full gamut or full range of different programs or less their lack of uh, vaccination programs from people that don't vaccinate at all to you know people that have uh, whole herd vaccination programs and they're uh, very actively managing their vaccination programs with with their veterinarian 
you know, why why do people not vaccinate or why do we see variations in from farm to farm? I think there's a number of reasons. I think a lot of those reasons relate to or revolve around confusion about vaccines themselves because there are so many different vaccines out there and really there there's new vaccines almost, uh, you know, on, on a regular basis. So it can be very confusing for a producer. And then, you know, added to that, there's a general kind of knowledge or, or of the concern around using modified live vaccines and in herds where you you haven't been using those vaccines before so that scares people off so i think the the biggest thing is for people that that aren't vaccinating you know you need to assess your your situation and try and figure out what the best options are for you to to move forward and i mean in all honesty you may decide that you don't need to vaccinate if you're in a situation where you've got a closed cow herd and and you're not bringing new breeding animals in and uh, you might be raising all your calves for on your own farm and finishing them for direct market if you're if you're really not going to bring any animals onto your farm and you've got a good biosecurity program then maybe you don't need to vaccinate but i think you know the reality is that's a pretty high level of management too for the average producer who's who's going to be marketing feeder cattle i think you know there's some really significant benefits to you for to consider, you know, developing a really good herd vaccination program and the best way to do that is to consult with your veterinarians. You know, what have we seen or what do we see in the marketplace for for cattle that are vaccinated properly that come from herds with a good vaccination program? You know, typically those calves bring a, a premium over other calves in the marketplace. Also, if you look at the herd averages or the the average weight of the cattle that come out of programs where or farms where where there's been a vaccinating pro- vaccination program, you know, they tend to wean heavier calves. I'm not saying that that's all because of the vaccine, but I think it's probably part of the benefit that they get from a better management program on their cattle and their weaning heavier cattle as a result of their overall management program. So I think in all, there's there's a lot of advantages to consider, you know, a vaccination program if you're not on one already. Most people could probably take their vaccination program to a higher level from where they are now because, as I said, there's new products out there and there's there's things that are other things that are available almost on a daily basis. And then the reality of the fact is that we're seeing different changes and we see different uh, disease challenges. So we need to recognize that uh, that those are out there and adjust our vaccination programs to address those. You know, in, in today's world where margins are getting thinner and thinner, I mean, the guys that are feeding these cattle, um, they're particularly sensitive. It costs them a lot of money if an animal gets sick in the feedlot. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the extra amount of work to treat them, the drugs to treat them, the extra handling and stress that that causes on the animal that they're treating, but not on, on all their pen mates. And then, you know, if they lose an animal, they just don't have any recovery there at all. So it's a big deal to them too. So you know, a good vaccination program is good for your own farm, but it's also uh, really good for the industry, in my opinion, and, and supports a more healthy uh, beef industry across the whole gamut from cow-calf all the way through to finish. So, Ellen, we haven't heard from you yet. One of the one of the cool tools that I've seen on BCRC's website is the um, BVD vaccination cost benefit calculator. So, you know, as a producer listening to this podcast, you know, this I think this might be a valuable tool for folks to uh, determine what that actual cost benefit of using a vaccine or a vaccine program would be. Can you can you talk a little bit about that tool and and how it works and why we should use it? 
Okay, thanks, Brad. Um, I think Jonathan had done a good introduction of this tool in particular and talking about the cost of vaccination. Um, the cost benefit of BBD vaccinations calculator, you can find that on beefresearch.ca underneath our decision tools. And this is available as an Excel sheet that you can download and uh, put in your own numbers into this Excel form and it will generate some uh, scenarios and numbers for you um, to help you make some decisions about what you would like to do with your operation in terms of vaccinating for BVD. Uh, so this tool, you can enter your herd size, the number of head that you have, your weaning weight, your expected calf price, the expected cow price, uh, your average mature cow weight, your expected price for replacement heifers, the cost for a dose of vaccine, and you can also input a number for the labor to administer the vaccine, but there is a number there if you want to use that one. So once you put in those numbers, you can look at the different scenarios for if you do include a BBD vaccine with your herd health program or if you decide not to. Uh, so with my herd of 100 cows, so if we go through, we decide to go ahead with a vaccine. The vaccine is going to cost approximately $4 per head. Uh, this includes the labor and the dose of vaccine. So the best case scenario for your herd that has been vaccinated for BBD is that you don't have an outbreak. Uh, none of your cows abort due to BVD, which is one of the biggest concerns of BVD in your herd that it can cause a significant number of abortions. So if you have vaccinated for BVD, BVD and you haven't lost anything, your cost is still $4.03 per head or $403 for your herd of 100 cows. If you do have an outbreak and some of your cows get sick and approximately 6% of your cows uh, abort their calves, so six head of cows abort your calves. Uh, you'll have a loss of about $64 a head or just over $6,000. So that's a net loss of about $9 a head. So you're looking at a loss of $77 a head and just under $8,000 for a herd that was vaccinated for BVD, uh, but still had an outbreak. So that's your bit of your insurance policy for that one. If you were not to vaccinate, so you haven't treated your herd at all, best case scenario, as Jonathan had mentioned earlier, if you have a closed herd, which isn't technically a term, but we'll go with if you had a closed herd, uh, best case scenario, you don't have an outbreak and none of your cows abort due to BBD. So you haven't lost anything and your expenses come down to $403 or $4.03 per head that you haven't had to spend essentially. Average case scenario, 20% of your cows abort. So 20 cows abort due to BBD. That's a loss of $215 a head or just over $21,000. Your net loss is $3,000 a head, $3,000 or $30 a head for a total loss of $24,450 or $245 a head for a 100 cow herd. Worst case scenario, you have a bad outbreak of BBD in your herd, and this can lead up to a 59% abort rate in your herd. So you've got a wreck. Um, so 59 head of your cows abort due to BBD, so that's 59 calves lost. That works out to be 63, just over $63,000 or $633 a head. Your net loss is $800 just under $9,000 or $89 a head. For a total loss for a 100 cow herd of $72,000 just over or $721 per head. So investing in this vaccine that's gonna work out to about $4 a head can really work out to be a good insurance policy for avoiding a wreck, um, particularly if you're bringing in cattle from different, uh, different operations, you're, uh, you could be bringing bulls from other operations. You could be purchasing a lot of replacement heifers. 
Um, perhaps you bring in different animals that are coming out of a sale barn, or maybe you're attending uh, livestock shows and you have animals that are uh, leaving your farm quite frequently. That $4 insurance policy, as I would call it, can save you $72,000 in a potential rack of losing um, quite a significant number of calves from your operations. So um, this tool can kind of demonstrate that for you if you don't believe me or you want to try for yourself using your own numbers and you, you may have some different numbers for a dose of vaccine or your cost of labor, etc. Uh, you can put those numbers in there and have a look at it for yourself. So that's on beefresearch.ca under the decision-making tools section. I, I think this leads us into a project, screening project that was conducted by the Nova Scotia cattle producers that we talked about earlier in the program. And it really came from some comments from buyers uh, at a couple of local auction marts and folks that buy cattle directly from farms and in how effective or or how the vaccinated cattle actually perform in the feedlot. And there were some concerns, you know, that maybe there wasn't the response rate for vaccines or the efficacy rate that those feedlot purchasers would be expecting. The Nova Scotia cattle producers partnered with Atlantic Stockyards, Funny Veterinarians, uh, the Atlantic Veterinary College, and Perennia over the winter of 2019-20 to conduct a vaccination screening project on feeder cattle through Atlantic Stockyards. Uh, and one of the goals, or the primary goal, I guess, of this project was to get a little bit better understanding of what types of cattle are coming through there and the breakdown of vaccinated versus unvaccinated, what the, the common vaccines being used on farm are, uh, as well as, you know, whether or not those antibodies are, show up in the, in the blood through a screening process. You know, so this is a, this is a project that we partnered on. And through this project, we were able to sample just over 418 animals across four feeder sales. And I think that the results were somewhat surprising. Through the animals that we sampled, uh, there were 63 lots uh, from different farms. Only 33% of those showed up as positive lots. Um, now, I know we've had some discussion with our working group since, uh, and maybe, Sean, I'll throw it over to you um, to maybe explain a little bit the, re the results and, you know, the fact that we don't see all animals with a positive response within uh, a single group uh, versus um, not showing any positive response. Can you explain why we would see some mixed results like that? So, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and again, there's a lot of things that kind of go into this. And um, I guess I'm going to start with um, just maybe a quick explanation of exactly what we're trying to measure, perhaps, if you'll indulge me. So, again, when I was talking earlier about passive immunity, we wanted to make sure that when we're sampling these animals, we were trying to measure an antibody to what we were presuming would be produced only by vaccine. Um, we had to make sure that maternal antibodies were already gone, so we're not measuring colostrum antibodies. And the other thing we had to keep in mind was we were trying to focus on a potentially not getting antibodies from natural exposure to disease. So what we were mainly vax, what we were mainly measuring in these in these animals was to see if they had a titer for BBD virus. And so that being said, we don't necessarily need to measure every animal from a lot. So if a large lot came in, we didn't have to test every particular animal. We only need to do a subsample of that. But on smaller lots, we probably would sample pretty much everyone because there's still going to be some animal variation, right? That not every animal is going to respond as well to a vaccine as others. Um, so you're always going to see a little bit of biological variation on vaccine response. 
The other thing that you have to keep in mind is um, on some of these animals that would show up that should, you know, that, that were declared vaccinated, but we didn't get a response is we still weren't not always 100% certain as, as to how long it would be from the time that they were vaccinated till they showed up at the sale burn. Again, if they were vaccinated with under three weeks of, of arrival, there's a good chance that they may have truly been vaccinated, but we're not going to get a chance to see enough antibody production that we can measure on our test. So there's there's lots of different reasons why you could get some variation. Not to mention, haven't even gone into it. Is there a difference between using modified live killed or different type, different uh, companies' vaccines, and how that could make an impact on the results that you're going to get? We we saw some other things with cattle man with the cattle that came in anecdotally from the unvaccinated group, like body condition and stuff like that. And I think it all goes back to management. I'm not suggesting that people, all people that don't vaccinate their cattle don't go do a good job of managing their cattle. But, you know, we, we certainly saw um, some variation in body condition and, and uh, other management things that were done, uh, like, you know, uh, good castration and dehorning. You know, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, you know, the cattle that were unvaccinated, um, probably weren't maybe managed as well as, as some of the other cattle that were vaccinated. On the other hand, uh, probably one of the nicest groups of uh, steers that came through the, the one of the days that I was there. You know, they, they were really shiny. They looked awesome. They had good body condition, but they hadn't been dehorned. And uh, I'm sure that had a significant impact on, on their price, despite the fact that they were vaccinated. So it, uh, there's variations in both sides of the, the coin, right? Um, and I think that that just goes to show you that no matter what we do, we can always do a better job with management. You know, every can do a little bit more and maybe get a slightly better price. It's not not just something that one or two people can address. Sean, maybe back to you. I think one of the things that we notice in the the producer declarations, uh, we asked when the vaccine was administered and which vaccine was administered. Can you comment a little bit about around the timing? I know you referenced it a little early in the conversation about uh, how long that uh, immuno response takes. And we, I think we definitely saw in some of the results uh, of the sampling that you know the, some of the cattle were vaccinated closer to sale time and, and how that would have affected the results and what it meant as far as, you know, they may not have showed up as a, uh, as a positive titer, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there, there wouldn't be protection from that vaccine. Yeah, so those are some great questions, yeah. And I mean, I can understand the, the uh, as far as from this, from some of the producers that are sending their cattle off, it's awful easy to just handle them as minimally as, as they can or as, as less often as possible. But as far as, as what we're trying to measure in this project, when we're trying to measure a, 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 you know, a significant antibody titer, those animals would typically, you know, I would expect it to be closer to four weeks required for a BBD vaccine to get any appreciable amount of titer. But you did allude to the fact, and you led me right into this, just because the animals didn't have a measurable titer doesn't mean that they don't have some level of protection to whatever they're vaccinated, even if we can't measure the actual antibodies. And I guess that makes things a little bit complicated. But it also, I guess, because of COVID, everybody kind of understands vaccines and immunity and testing a little bit better, it seems. Um, those animals, when we tested the day of slaughter, or sorry, the day of sale, if they didn't have a measurable titer, but they were exposed to BBD that day, they still probably would have a ramp up of antibodies in production that they would actually respond better to exposure of BBD and would still probably have a better response against that than an unvaccinated animal. So there's still some benefit to giving the vaccine 
in short period going to stale as opposed to not giving it at all. Just that it's really hard for a research project to try to measure that response without trying to challenge all these animals and measure how many animals get sick by doing some type of artificial challenge. And certainly nobody would want to get into that. That'd be quite difficult to do and quite costly to do. At the end of the day, I guess our method of measurement, some could argue was a little bit crude because yeah, I, I swear I vaccinated them two weeks ahead of time. I don't know why they don't have a titer when you measured them. That's true. I mean, you may have done everything proper and you may have done a really good job of vaccinating them. We just can't measure that response that quickly. But it doesn't mean that there is not some protection conferred onto that animal by that vaccine. I can tell you one thing, though, but is if you vaccinate them going out the door onto the trailer on the way to the sale burn, that isn't good enough, right? You need at least two weeks to get some amount of protection. Doing them on the way out the door is not going to give any protection at all. So one of the other things I think we noticed, and you alluded to in, in your early conversation when, when you discussed passive and active immunity, um, is we did have some animals in our testing that showed up or that were declared unvaccinated, um, but the titer showed up. Um, yep. You know, and, you know, a lot of these cattle would have been beyond that four months of age. Can you explain that for us a little bit and how that would work? Sure. I mean, it still could be that we were measuring passive immunity because, I mean, on average, I mean, biological systems are a little bit a little bit weird and there's going to be some variability. On average, an unvaccinated animal should have all of its maternal antibodies for BBD, especially gone by five months, we typically would say at the outside. Is it possible for one to make it to six months? Yeah, sure, it's it's possible. The other thing that we have to remember, though, I did allude to earlier, too, is the reason why we chose BBD is because we'd like to assume that there's not a lot of uh, circulating uh, active field virus of BBD out there, although we do know there's some. And so some of those animals that were claimed to be unvaccinated that show a titer could actually have been exposed to natural source BBD, meaning the farm's already infected with BBD and it's circulating throughout the herd. So the antibody response was to a natural infection, not to a vaccine at all. Or, you know, it could be that their neighbor's animals have, you know, a natural infection of BVD because we know that, you know, BVD can, BVD virus can travel a little bit of distance. So it could be that this animal was exposed to a natural exposure of BVD and that's why we measured a response. So, Sean, one of the questions I have for you is around uh, overall animal condition and how the vaccine responds. So will a, an animal in, in poorer body condition um, or have other stressors have a different response to a vaccine uh, versus uh, an animal under less stress or in better body condition? So it certainly would have an impact on things because um, if you have an animal that's immune system's already being tapped out or at, at least not at optimum performance, when you administer a vaccine, some of these vaccines we give are actually very potent uh, antigens that actually can stress the, vac the, the animal's um, immune system to the point where it's almost overwhelming. And the amount of antibody response we might get is actually going to be a little bit more poor. So an animal that's in body poor body condition or is already being, uh, you know, it's under stress for some other reason, whether it's, you know, too many flies, just anything at all that's, that's stressing out this animal, the response to the vaccine can certainly be uh, detrimental and not necessarily going to make it to its maximum effect. The other thing we have to remember, too, as far as, you know, the reaction we're going to get in these calves from this is, you know, what exactly is going on as far as the, as the, as the time and when we're giving it, right? So it's a, it can cause a lot of confusion for people, like when is the optimum time to vaccinate my calf, right? And, and sometimes there's a worry that they're doing it too early, and sometimes there's a worry that we're doing it too late, right? And so certainly, you know, trying to provide a vaccine for a calf that's, you know, a few days of age, 
if you're if you're giving them like a the, like a BBD vaccine at a few weeks of age, doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense because their immune system's not going to react to that at all. We're actually going to get interference probably with colostral antibodies. But as I had mentioned earlier in this talk, you know some of those maternal antibodies disappear a lot quicker than others. And so, for instance, not getting too technical, but IBR. So we know IBR can cause you know respiratory disease in cattle at a very young age, and the protection that animals get from IBR or BRSV is actually quite short. So with BRSV especially, it can start disappearing at four weeks of age. So now we've got a calf, once it hits six to seven weeks of age, no longer has any protection for BRSV. So it's probably important that if you think that you have a lot of challenges for that, that's when you need to start implementing a vaccine program. I think that's part of the missing thing that people get sometimes, and maybe I'm going too far off on a tangent here, is what's the purpose of giving the vaccine? Is the vaccine just given just because someone tells me it's a good thing to do? No, it needs to be strategically implemented as when the challenge is for your animals and when's that animal going to best respond to that vaccine to prevent any further disease. So it's, it's, it can be a very uh, complicated issue to get your head around, which is why it's probably good to talk to someone like a veterinarian that has a little bit more uh, experience about timing and recognizing risk. But it's just so important to try to find the optimum time to do this. Not when the animals are necessarily being stressed. Part of your strategy is to, to castrate at a young age and to dehorn at a young age, and you wanna vaccinate on the same day, you know, that's a little bit maybe too much stress for that animal to be getting the vaccine the same day as it's being castrated and dehorned. You know, you may not get the optimum reaction to that. Sure, it's easy because you're catching them and you're handling them, so you want to do it all at once. But if you're trying to optimize your amount of vaccine response and antibody response from your vaccine, it may not be the most op opportune time to do it if those animals are extremely stressed out. So there's definitely a lot of other things that are going to go on that can impact the response we get from a vaccine. So, Sean, you just raised a really interesting comment around the strategy of, of a vaccination program. And one of the things, unfortunately, I think that we hear quite often is, you know, why am I worried about vaccinating my cattle? It's, uh, you know, let the feedlot guys worry about that. Any comments on that or, or Jonathan yeah. or Ellen? Yeah, I, I, I hear that often. And I guess, it, quite honestly, it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine because people are, they, they don't realize that there's still dollars left on the table that they're kind of just letting slide off the table. Um, as I mentioned, I mean, it, it's, it's not that uncommon in Atlantic Canada for calves to be born in January and February, but they're not going to get sold until October. And if you're running a program without any vaccine, you've got to recognize that right off the bat, by the time your calves hit April, they're probably no longer being passively protected by antibodies, especially for IBR and BRSV. And they may still have a bit of BBD protection until June, but there's no doubt in my mind by June, July, August, September, your cattle are walking around with no protection for any kind of diseases at all. And so that's why I think it's important to educate some producers that, you know what, if you, vaccine, if you have a vaccine strategy that intervenes somewhere in the four to five month of age, kind of idea, you're gaining the benefits of that vaccine just as much as the feedlot operator. If not, even though you may not have to necessarily pull out a bottle of antibiotics to treat a respiratory disease, some of your cattle are going to have snotty, runny noses and they're not, gonna, they're not gonna feel very good for a few days and you are losing dollars at weaning weight if you don't start using a vaccine program a little earlier, at least in my opinion. So, so maybe now to, to Jonathan and Ellen to talk a little bit about the extension and, and learning and, and how we communicate with producers uh, on the importance of a vaccination program. You know, what, what strategies can we deploy to help with this? You know, and maybe we'll talk specifically just for a second about, we've talked about the having a vaccination program, uh, but one of the things that we still hear, I think quite frequently is handling vaccines. So uh, maybe we'll start with Jonathan or, or Ellen, if you have any comments about 
how we educate producers and and specifically around handling vaccines themselves. That's a big topic, Brad, and I think we could probably actually do a whole uh, podcast on that in itself. You know, I think that uh, in terms of, uh, and this is kind of passing the buck a little bit, but in terms of education, you know, producers really need to talk to their veterinarians. I mean, they're getting the products from the vets. Uh, The vets do an awesome job of keeping them, you know, in good storage conditions and, and that kind of thing in their practices. And then, uh, you know, if the producer doesn't understand what how to handle the vaccine properly, they can literally like waste the vaccine in the time it takes them to drive home to their farm if they don't keep it at the right temperature and that, and that kind of thing. And that uh, temperature control it needs to be extended, in, you know, through the vaccination period, actually shoot side too, right? So you need to consider all of these things, and it gets to be a fairly complex subject. There's a lot of things coming into play in terms of getting good results from vaccination programs or actually the application of the vaccine. I I, I really think, I mean, as an extension person, you know, I, I can I can share the knowledge that I have, but the veterinarians are the frontline people that, that actually are dealing with it. And I don't want to sound like I'm passing the buck there because I, I don't feel that way. But, you know, producers are, are, I think you almost need to think about what your process is every time you go to the vet and buy uh, your vaccine. And even before that starts, the decision to, you know, which vaccine that you're going to use, you know, rather than just, oh, I got to vaccinate these cattle this week because the feeder sales in three weeks time. And I know that I've been told I have to do that. We can we can get much better value out of the products that we're, we're using if we plan carefully and and uh, follow through and the way we apply them to the animals. And as Sean pointed out here just a few minutes earlier, we do have very uh, diverse calving periods. And, uh, you know, we've got calves that are born in, in the winter and, you know, don't go to market until October. And certainly there's you know, the pasture period, you know, when they're out in pasture, most people don't think about vaccination until it's almost market time. And uh, I think there's a huge opportunity missed there in terms of, you know, getting some better immunity, even on pasture in our our own farms. Jonathan covered that well, just to add to that. um, Definitely agree that working with your veterinarian and having that, that client relationship is really going to help with delivering those vaccines effectively. Um, I know when I first looked at some of that data that came out of the project, it was that there was a number of producers that were saying those animals were vaccinated, but you weren't seeing the response that you would like to see, to see those animals actually had those titers. So that may go back to the delivery and the storage of those vaccines. Um, I know that the Verified Beef Production Plus program, they have a sticker that can go inside of your fridge. So wherever you're storing those vaccines that you can actually check to see if the fridge is storing those vaccines at the appropriate temperature. Uh, that may also come back to the location where you're storing your vaccines. Uh, if you're storing them in a fridge in your kitchen where you're frequently opening the door, uh, that may not be the best place to store those. And you may need to actually move those to their own storage area to make sure you have the e- efficacy of those vaccines still in place. And if if I may just add to that, um, just because it's a bit of, a, again, it's a bit of a pet peeve, I guess, of mine is the handling of vaccines. I, mean, I strongly promote the use of modified live vaccines um, because of the fact they do confer better immunity and probably a wider spread immunity. But people need to remember that that's actually a living organism in that bottle. So when you purchase that from a, from your veterinary clinic and you're driving home, and if you toss up in the dash of the truck and you, and you heat it up a little bit, you no longer have a live vaccine. The other thing you can do that can mess that up is I know nobody enjoys sticking needles into cattle. Uh, but another common thing that I've, I've heard and seen is people that would 
take different vaccines and mix them together in the same syringe. Again, that's a modified live virus that's in there that needs to stay alive to make the to, to make the immune reaction that you want. You can't mix it with something else. And the third thing I wanted to necessarily comment on is the cleanliness requirements of syringes. So if you're using a multi-dose syringe and you spend, you know, you, maybe you take the time and you're going to actually clean it out, but whatever you clean it out with, if you're using some kind of disinfectant, if there's any residue of the disinfectant when you drop the next modified live, you can kill the virus again by by the disinfectant in your syringe. And I guess if you don't mind, I'll add a fourth point is the fact that whenever we, whenever your veterinarian tells you, when you mix these two bottles together, you have to use them up fairly quickly. That's not just, you know, trying to sell more product. Again, that's a live vaccine. That's a live virus. If you mix the bottle together and you decide, oh, I'm going to use that, you know, I didn't use it all up, so I'll use the rest of it next week. Throw it out because by next week, it's no longer any good. Once you mix that, you need to use it. Well, I guess the other thing that I would I would kind of throw in there too is, and it comes back to understanding why we're vaccine vaccinating and what the vaccines are, is that uh, I think it was 2018, we saw a number of cattle die at uh, pasture for, with clostridial disease. And the producer kind of when we did the, when the, the background information was collected and they talked to the producer the producer said these animals were vaccinated and you know digging a little deeper was that basically yeah they were vaccinated but they were they were vaccinated they weren't vaccinated for clostridial diseases and uh, it's important to to kind of not get uh, kind of the, the respiratory disease vaccines are the hot topic that everybody talks about and the clostridial vaccines have been around i think correct me if i'm wrong sean like a hundred years yeah, pretty and, darn uh, close. Right after Louis Pasteur uh, figured out how to do it. <laughs> yeah, and and I think sometimes it's 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 overlooked now, uh, and and part of that's confusion, and then I think part of it is people thinking, oh well, you know, it's been around for years. Maybe it's not you know as important to worry about as as the respiratory diseases. But at the end of the day, you know, an animal that gets sick and with the clostridial diseases, if it gets sick, it's usually fatal. It's uh, pretty cheap insurance. To, to make sure you do a complete set of vaccinations. I want to thank uh, Dr. Sean McKenna, Jonathan Word, and Ellen Crane for joining us today. Um, you've given us some good food for thought around vaccination programs and a little bit around the project and some of the results we saw through the Nova Scotia cattle producers during the winter of 19 and 20. We look forward to having a future discussion with you and maybe we'll, we'll do another complete episode on handling vaccines and proper administration. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's Anytime. a pleasure to be able to, to join you, Brad. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, thanks to you folks and uh, hope to talk to you again. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. Here is the market report for the weekend at September 18th. In the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $1.54.76 per kilogram, a change of positive 10.1 cents from last week. In Ontario, prices were also up 10 cents from last week at $1.457. And in Quebec market, the base price was $1.76 per kilogram, a change of 17 cents to the good from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle Atlantic beef products were $2.34 on the rail, a change of 4 cents down from the previous week. In Ontario, live steers sold for $1.38, moving up 4 cents from the prior week. And in Quebec, live steers were 88 cents, a change of negative one cent from the week before. Cull cattle at Atlantic Stockyards sold for 82 cents, a drop of three cents from last week, while rail price at Atlantic beef products 
stayed the same at $1.55. Calls in Ontario averaged 71 cents, dropping 3 cents from the prior week, and 73 cents for D1s in Quebec, dropping 4 cents from the prior week. Good bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards sold for $132, up $15, while calves in Ontario were up 17 cents per pound to a price of $1.16. Calves in Quebec were $1.31, an increase of 10 cents per pound from the prior week. Base price for lambs at Northumberland Brookside Abattoir is at $11.10 per kilogram, and mutton is $5 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average $2.40 per pound at 57 pounds, ranging from $2.16 to $2.72. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average $2.89 at 59 pounds, ranging from $2.20 to $3.37. For 65 to 79 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards, they averaged 245 per pound at 71 pounds and ranged from 220 to 262. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs averaged 277 at 73 pounds, ranging from $1.30 to 335. Use at Atlantic Stockyards ranged from 102 to $275 per head, averaging $207. And in Ontario, use average 233 per pound at 139 pounds and range from a dollar even to $2.60. The Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia will be offering fall workshops throughout the month of October. Please check the websites nscattle and nssheep.ca or their Facebook and Twitter pages frequently for updates. The 2020-2021 Maritime Beef Test Station entrance form deadline is October 9th. For additional information or entrance form, please visit maritimebeeftteststation.ca. The 2021 Central Ram Evaluation Intents are due October 16th, 2020. For more information or to complete the producer survey, please visit nssheep.ca. Virtual Maritime Beef Conference will start on October 22nd and go for five weeks into October on Thursday evenings. For more information, you can visit maritimebeef.ca. Upcoming dates at Atlantic Stockyards on October 1st, Orchard Hill Female Production Sale will be held at the Stockyards and feeder sales will be held on October 6th and October 20th. For more information, visit atlanticstockyards.com. Three programs available to livestock producers in Nova Scotia include the Cattle Industry Enhancement Program, the Sheep Industry Enhancement Program, and the Wildlife Damage Mitigation Program. For information on all of those programs, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of ArchesAudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes. <laughs>